0: Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This message was born really on a flight going uh, to Tasmania. It's sort of, I'd started thinking about it before, but on the plane, uh, I try to fly exit row because it's more leg room. So when you bring that tray down for food, it sort of doesn't sit there for me. you know. And uh, I try to get the exit row as uh, often as I can, but I hate that speech. Because when you're in exit row, they tell you in case of an emergency. And uh, they'll often say things like this. If you hear evacuate, 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 then you better listen, not to the passengers around you, but to the pilot, or the team on the plane and do as they say. And as they said this the other day, I started to think about how many times in life, instead of evaluating, we do some evacuating. And we jump out of stormy situations prematurely. And sometimes we might be in a relationship that's going a little bit through some turbulence. And what happens is we wanna evacuate when the Word from God is evaluate. And so this morning, if you want to remember anything from this message, I'd like you to remember this word, the power to evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. I think all my life I've tried to do that in every season. As you are aware, as a family, we're walking through a season where I feel I'm walking with a limp. And sometimes we think we're the only ones, but in life, If you do life long enough, there's gonna be challenges at times that come our way that we can still do our Christianity, we can do it strong and we can evaluate rather than jump out and run out and fall to our own death because the plane ain't gonna crash. Sometimes we think things are gonna crash and we feel like evacuating and yet a bit of turbulence is still gonna get us to the destination. I love Flying, not that much, but I don't like turbulence. But let me tell you, it's very, very important today to understand that in life, we go through times of turbulence. Tonight, I'm gonna share on we can do this. I'm gonna share on we can finish strong. You know, I've often said in church situations, I'm one decision away from becoming a total idiot. (laughs) And so, you know, I wanna finish my race strong. And no matter how good I get to halfway, that's not gonna account for much if I end up pretty bad at the end. I wanna finish strong and if I have to walk with a limp and every day, it seems it doesn't get easier. Since I've seen you last, I've prayed for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have lost their children. I've prayed for people that have lost their parents and it just breaks my heart. I didn't wish this to be part of my narrative. And you know, I was in uh, Coffs Harbour just recently and the first six families I prayed for had lost their loved ones, their kids. In one family, they'd lost two. They lost two boys, both through suicide. I realised while I was in Coffs Harbour that it's one of the most um, strongest areas for this issue where people are taking their lives. One son took his life at 30, the other one at 13. And it broke my heart as I put my arms around families and with my limp was able to pray with them and cry with them. But it's so easy to evacuate. It's so easy to wanna jump. It's so easy to say the turbulence is making me feel sick and I want out of here. But if we jump prematurely, we will only fall to our own death. But I wanna tell you, my friends, we can evaluate in every season of our life the word today is not evacuate but it's you know we need to evaluate what is happening in the church and in our own lives right now all around the world there is a cry for authentic church that's one of the trendiest words now we want authenticity we want real we want to practice what we preach we want honesty we want humility people are looking for reality but the reality is this that we can only corporately as a church express these values if we carry them in our own personal lives. Because the church is only as strong as our own personal walk individually with God. I am the church. I've discovered that I have a church living inside of me that I have to pastor every day. When I used to pastor a congregation, I used to be affected by the voices. I used to be affected by people saying negative things or don't love this church because of this or I don't like the way I was treated. I never knew that after not leading a church, I still have those voices. They're inside of me. You know, that was the wrong word to preach today. You shouldn't have done that. The people did, thought you shouted too much or, or whatever. And you're listening to those voices all the time. And I wanna tell you, I wanna evaluate in my life, never stop evaluating so that I can grow and not groan. I wanna grow. Sometimes we grow while we groan. But you see, God wants our story to become His story. When our story becomes His story, We will leave a mark on history. God's story in our lives is being written every day. Evaluation is so important if we wanna make His story our story. We must allow the Bible not just to be a devotional. The Bible must become a non-negotiable. In all our lives, we need to understand the Word of God is not a book of suggestions but it's a roadmap, it's a worldview. And when we evaluate our lives in the mirror of God's Word, it's not perfection, my friends, but it is direction. And we walk towards Him. You see, when you have the Bible as a devotional, it'll make you feel good. But when you have the Bible as as a directional, it'll make you fight good. And let me tell you, I like to feel good, but I can promise you since last year or 16, 17 months ago, there's not too many days when it feels good. It doesn't always feel good, but I wanna tell you my friends today, I've gotta fight good. I've gotta fight good because if I give in, I will want to evacuate rather than evaluate. And at a time in all our lives, when we go through times of crippledness in one way or another, aren't you glad we have a Bible that is more than a directional, a devotional, it is a directional in our lives. Evaluating with a healthy desire to grow will help us mature into the likeness of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 2, 52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, in favour with God and with people. Yet He's the same Jesus, they said, crucify Him. So there's something that happens inside of us and even around us that can sustain us even when situations change. The same Jesus that as young boy had people going, wow, is the same Jesus they said, crucify Him much later. In life, there are times when we're loved. There are times when we're misunderstood. There are times when we're attacked, but I don't want the kind of Christianity that says I've had enough, that's it, I'm out of here. I'm gonna evacuate. No, I'm gonna stop every time and say, God, I wanna evaluate and see what it is that you can do in my life in this season. We didn't just go through the transition of losing someone you love so much, but in my own life, it's been a transition of calling, a transition of everything, a transition of what we used to rely on for income, all those kind of things and everything. When you get to 60 years of age and everything inside of you changes, there's something inside of me that says, oh, I wanna go back to the menswear store where I started. Cause you know, my friends, I didn't ask for the ministry, the ministry asked for me. And so I could easily go back tomorrow and do what I used to do as a young man working in a menswear store. I could just be an old fatter man working in a menswear store now. And I could start the department for extra large and we could have a really good business. (laughs) I've often thought of starting a menswear for people that are not the normal shape, whatever the normal shape is. But uh, you always look for that plan B. But I remember when I first said yes to Jesus, I said no plan B no matter what happens and I can't come up with a plan B now. So rather than evacuate and get out of here, I'm gonna evaluate and become all that God wants me to be in this season of my life and all of us live at the same address at some time. I love David in the Bible. I love David because he was a muso and he seemed to have such a sort of unusual personality. If you read the Psalms, you think he's a manic depressant when he starts writing them. And by the time you finish reading, he's ready to party. And you think, how do you go from one extreme to the other? But I'm a feeler, that's my personality and I can be, I wanna, everything sucks and you know we're gonna get out of here tomorrow to come on, let's go and change the world. And I can vacillate between the two and David was a bit like this, but I love the fact that the Bible called him a man after God's own heart. Now he is a man who committed adultery, he really stuffed up in his life, he made a lot of mistakes, and in the Book of Acts, I think it's about chapter thirteen, if I remember, it says, And David served his generation and then he died. Now I know because of our personal story this is difficult for me to say, very difficult, but nobody in this room is going to die on the same day usually as somebody else, unless you're together when an accident happens or whatever, but we all die at different times. Some die young, as we've discovered. Some die at 60, some die at 80, some die at 100. None of us are guaranteed a specific time. But let me tell you, whatever time we've been allotted, in that time, we can live a life of fulfilment and we can live a life of purpose and we can have a life where we constantly evaluate our lives so we can become like Jesus. And David in Acts 13 said he served his generation and he died. It's hard for me to say, but I'm grateful for a son that served his generation and he died doing the very thing that he gave his life for. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. He served his generation and he died. I don't know how long I've got, but I wanna serve my generation before I die. And death doesn't have to be physical death. There comes seasons in our life where we serve. I remember when God said to me, you've served your generation, now hand it over to the next generation so that my name will be preached for generations. And I want you to go and become a dad to others that can do the same. And right now all over this country, I'm helping churches transition. I'm helping churches also transform in that transitioning so nobody gets hurt along the way. And I'm grateful that I can keep evaluating rather than evacuating. And in Psalm 139, this man who'd made a lot of mistakes, this man who had several affairs and his fathering wasn't that good. He finished his race well, but there was a lot of scars along the way. And in Psalm 139, this is what I love about David. The last two verses, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Three things in this passage of Scripture, if you're taking notes, I want you to write them down because they are so, so important in all our lives. Number one is our motives. Know my heart. You know, so many times in life we get caught in messes because we judge people's actions as if we know their motives. And when we do that, we run into problems. I don't wanna be judged by my actions if they're wrong because I will make mistakes. I would love to be judged by my motives. And yet we judge other people by their actions. And sometimes in judging people by their actions, we could miss the real point behind it. I remember one day years and years and years ago back at Ranella, I looked at the back of the room and there was a young man standing at the back who had gone to school with me many years before and I had to get to him. I never imagined that he would be in church. Knowing his lifestyle, the last place he would be, would be in church. As I saw him in church after the meeting, I ran up the aisle to go and give the guy a hug and found out someone got upset that reached out to say hello to me and I bypassed them and ran and said, he doesn't care about his people. He doesn't care about people who walked straight past me and didn't even say hello. Well, if you knew my motive, I don't deserve to be a pastor if that's how I feel about you and just ignore you. My motive was I wanted to get to that guy and give him a hug, but someone else saw an action without knowing the motive and made a judgment. And I wanna say today, I want God to know my motives. At the end of the day, i tell you something that's got, not in the notes, but most of it isn't. But anyway, um, <laughs> I said to Tony, I'm gonna stick with one point. So if Tony asks you what I preach on, just say, evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. What was I saying? Uh, Yes, I was on my bed just thinking a few weeks ago and I felt God put these thoughts in my mind. Live to the audience of one. You know, every one of us as Christians wanna be loved. We want people to understand us, but at the end of the day, we're gonna stand and be judged by one. Live to the audience of one. Then he said, love everybody generically, but don't compromise your convictions. You don't have to give away what you believe to." be loved by everybody or to love people. Love people generically, even if they have a different standpoint than you, but love them. And then he said this to me, and if you knew Danny, you could see this as God. He said, stop trying to be the Messiah and be the messenger. See, sometimes you wanna change people more than they wanna change. Sometimes we wanna change a marriage more than that marriage wants to be changed. I've laid in bed over the years worrying about people and they're sleeping like a log. Not worried about their problem and I'm worried about their problem. And so I wanna say to you today, live to the audience of one. Be a lover of people generically. Oh, but no, do more than that. Don't be the Messiah. Just be the messenger of the message God's put in your heart and you will be able to have pure motives. So it's motives. Number two, it's our mind. Most of the battle is in the skull the mind. You know, he pours oil over my head. Psalm 23. The sheep used to have buzzing in the head with the insects that would get up into the head of the sheep. He says, you anoint my head with oil to stop the buzzing. Most of the battle goes on in here. The last three days for me, I've had battles in here that I've been too afraid to let come out of here because I knew what would come out of here at the wrong time would not be what God wants to hear, although He hears it, but I didn't need to hear it because let me tell you, the battle is in the mind. And so, David says, Hey, listen, know my heart, know my thoughts, my mind, and point out anything in me that offends you, which is my manner. Our motive, our mind, and our manner. As churches, we constantly need to evaluate. Now, I'm not saying this to score points with Victory Church. Please understand that's carnality and it's flesh, and I'm not into that. God will judge us. But I reckon for the last 16 months or more, that I have sat with Kath and Tony as leaders of this church. They've constantly said to me, where do we need to change? What do we need to do? Is there things we're doing wrong? Danny, if you see us doing something or saying something, you know, when Pastor Tony went through his illness, there was constant conversation. What can I learn out of this? What can I do out of this? And you can't ask for more than when at a leadership level, there's a willingness to evaluate. Let me tell you, that's a healthy church. We should never stop evaluating. Or where are we bearing fruit? All over Australia, we're putting Christmas trees on platforms because they look good. That's people with giftings without character. This church has not got those people, so I'm not talking about here. But if someone has a gift, we'll grab them and put them on a platform and there's all the glitz and all the lighting and all the stuff, we go, what a beautiful tree. But let me tell you, if you put a fruit tree next to that Christmas tree, the fruit tree will look like a piece of stick with some leaves, but it might have a bits of fruit on it and that fruit can sustain you. It can refresh you and it can feed you, but it's not as attractive as the Christmas tree. But we don't need churches full of gifts without character. We need churches full of gifts and character because we're willing to evaluate as a church. In Revelations, there are seven churches that God comes and speaks to through the writer. And He goes, you're amazing, you're awesome. You do all these things really good, but this is what you need to adjust. That's good evaluation. You know, hotels that ask you to fill in a form and say, how was the service? I mean, I was in uh, Coffs Harbour just a few weeks ago and I was in a hotel that halfway through the year, they turn the air conditioning off to save power. And so I am boiling hot. I turn the air conditioner on, not realising it's more hot coming out because they've only got it on heat, not on cool. Even though on the wall says, you can turn it down to cool. So I go downstairs and I say to the lady, I am boiling up in my room, I'm just cooking. There's nothing else just about that I can take off. So I shouldn't, that bad picture. <laughs> She goes, sorry, sir, this time of the year, we turn the cooling off for the whole system. Somebody else comes out of the lift, they weren't happy at all. And there was a family, I I sort of was Christian angry. They were were non-Christian angry. And I think Christian angry is probably an excuse because it was still probably a bit too angry. And you think, I said to her, you need to evaluate. I said, you need to look at this because you you can't always be guaranteed the weather's gonna be the same and you're gonna lose customers. And the people were saying next to me, we're not coming back here, this is disgusting. The lady just said, open the windows. <laughs> I said, I opened the window and influenza. Oh no, who said that? Oh, that's bad. I don't know whether a dad joke has to get in there somewhere. And so the churches of the book of Revelation are all being evaluated. And one of them was the church of Laodicea. And it says, I'd rather you be hot or cold but not lukewarm, because if you're lukewarm and it sounds really horrible, I'll spew you out of my mouth. You think that's, that's not a really good way to welcome people to church. I mean, it's not a loving statement. And then you study the history. The water would come into Laodicea from nine kilometres out of the city from underground water ducts. And the water would come into the city and by the time it would get to the city, It had a lot of salt in it. And if it was lukewarm and people drank it, they would vomit and they would vomit a lot. And so the story is being used to evaluate saying, listen, I'd rather you hot or I'd rather you cold. Now for years, I used to think hot was good and cold was bad until I thought to myself, why wouldn't God rather you lukewarm? At least you're a bit closer to hot than cold, which is so far away. Doesn't make sense to me until I researched it. And realise that passage of Scripture means, I would rather you hot with warmth and love and affection and love for Christ, or I would rather you cold, refreshing, because when the water was cold, they could drink it. When it was hot, they could drink it. But when it was lukewarm, they couldn't. And so cold is actually good in this scripture. And so is hot. I'd rather you hot or I would rather you cold. They are both good expressions, but not something wishy-washy in the middle that's gonna be soda. The salt laden and you will vomit. And I want to tell you, friends, God's not looking for perfection. And you know, we are saved by grace, but that grace not only saves us, it can sustain us, it can set us up, it can set us free. And when we allow his grace to come into our lives, he can evaluate us to make us better people. You see, then we go on. And we see another church, the church of Ephesus, in chapter three, I think it's chapter two. Uh, verses one to six, you don't need to read it, read it in your own time, where it says you've left your first love. You used to do amazing things. You had great works, you did a great events. You know, the Pentecostal church around Australia, New Zealand, and even in the Western world has learned to do events really well. But can I say this, and this is not in any way saying anything about here, but just generically, at the end of the day, friends, Programs will keep you in church, but biblical pattern will keep you in Christ. And when I went through the trauma and we as a family together have been through trauma, a church event ain't gonna keep me going. The pain is too deep. There's gotta be a biblical pattern. And what we need in people is not something that will encourage you for a day, but something that will sustain you for a lifetime as you walk through the biblical patterns that God puts in inside our hearts. And so he says to this church, you have left your first love. Now, listen to me carefully. For many years in church, I've heard it said differently. I've, you have lost your first love. Well, the other day, and some of you will understand this more than others, if you've never heard of Mont Blanc, I love Montblanc pens, that's not a hint. And I just wanna say to you, cause I've got some, so it's okay. But you know, um, I love them. I've never bought one other than for other people. People have given them to me. The other day I made a list. I usually do it on my iPhone, but I made a list to go shopping. I'd use my Montblanc pen. I put it in my little denim jacket that I didn't realise had a big hole in it. And I go off to Coles at Furl and I buy my stuff, all happy, I'm gonna cook for friends to come over and then realise my pen's fallen out. Six, $700 pen gone right through the pocket, disappeared, can't find it. I've been back two or three times. I've seen a pen on the floor and then I looked closer and it was a candy stick. And I thought, well, what a disappointment that was. <laughs> the thing is this, I may never find it. I may never ever see it again. In fact, someone probably picked it up and thought it was a $10 pen. They probably don't even know what it's worth. The issue is I might never, ever, ever find that pen again. But if I'd left it, Next to my bed, and some time down the track, I needed it, I could go back to where I left it. It says, You left your first love, not lost it. And the good news about God it's one breath of God, I need you. It's one breath of God, I need you in my life. And you can go through a week where life sucketh. You can go for a week where stuff is really bad. You can go for weeks where you don't feel like a Christian. I spoke only two days ago to a friend of mine. We were talking on the phone and he said to me, everything is going so well in my life, why am I so sad? There are times we don't even know why we're sad. There's some of you in the room right now, you've had a week like that, that's just gone. You think I'm better off than most people in the world. I've got food on the table. I've still got a future. And yet why am I so flat? Why am I so sad? I've discovered with most of my friends that say that, they're over 50 years of age. Life is changing. Our hormones are changing. Or lots of medical things are happening to us. And sometimes we're just sad because we're sad. And we don't know why. But that's okay, because one cry, I wanna go and return to my first love. I wanna go back to the one who loves me. Because I wanna tell you, this morning I felt flat, you know, having to preach in this church with all the history we've got together and saying, I don't wanna say anything out of turn because of all our pain and the responsibility of that. And you sit in a chair and I sat in a chair this morning about seven o'clock, freezing cold, saying this is colder than Tasmania. And I'm sitting there in my pyjamas and my overcoat and trying to pull it over my head. Not much hair up there, gotta do something. And I just started speaking in that tongue that we don't understand in the natural. Just for a moment said, God, let me return. Let me return to that first love of just you and me If there was never crowds again, if there was never people saying you're awesome, you're loved so much, will you still have no plan B? And will you still allow me to evaluate you and saying how we're going? You see, evaluation is not just for the church as a whole, but it's for us individually. And I wanna say this morning, I'm not gonna be much longer, but many years ago, can I say this? I've probably got a couple of thousand sermons I could just travel. One friend of mine who I preached for recently said, don't bother preparing new stuff. Just bring us one of your oldies, we'll be fine. I can't do that. I mean, I love the truths of them, but they have to be real to me and fresh today. And so I can pull thoughts from the past and I do because they were wonderful truths that have kept me over these years, but they have to be fresh today. And this is something that happened in my past. A long, long time ago, I sat down and I thought I have to get up every Sunday whether I've been good or bad. I'm reminded of the story of the lady that came home from church one day and the house was empty. The furniture had gone, everything gone. She was the pastor's wife. And so everything was gone. Sorry, the husband came home. The wife had emptied the house of everything and the husband comes home and finds everything gone. He goes, what on earth has happened? Has she left me? What's going on? And so he decides to go back to the church and pray. And when he arrives at the church and opens the doors, all the furniture was in the church. The lounges were in the church. The fridge was in the church. And the husband says, what on earth are you doing? She goes, I love the man that speaks here on Sunday much better than the one I'm with on Monday and the rest of the week. I thought I'll move in with him. You've got to understand for the preacher, he can be a, a real, have a real snotty week, shout at the kids and sort of have a really bad week and then, good morning church. How you pray? <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like the man up there is not the man down there sometimes. But it's all motive. If the motive is to be that different man and just show off and put on an act, you don't deserve to be up there. But if your motive is God, I wanna keep always getting up again. And I want you to keep evaluating me. And so I remember one day when I wasn't feeling so spiritual, wasn't feeling like preaching, wasn't feeling like His presence was close to me. I made a list of how to evaluate myself. And this is what I wrote about when I'm hot for God and when I'm cold for God in the bad sense of cold, not the good one we used before. So when I'm hot for God, I'm usually selfless and others oriented. When I'm hot for God, I'm strong on myself sins but I'm soft on judging others. When I'm hot for God, I seem to speak with encouragement. Hey, come on, you can do this. You know, it's great. When I'm really close to God, I'm sold out to the cause of Christ. How dare we not do anything else? This is what we die for. This is what we live for. You're sold out to the cause of Christ. I noticed I haven't always done this brilliantly, but when I'm hot for God, I separate my hurt. I separate from hurt and disappointment, not nurse it. So you can't be in love with Jesus properly and nurse disappointment forever. Because the Bible says, forgive us as we forgive others their sins. Years and years and years ago, years ago, God gave me two keys out of Luke chapter 17. It says, don't cause someone to stumble because if you do, you might as well tie a rope around your neck and jump into the sea. And I felt God say, Danny, your actions can hurt other people. So your actions are very important because they're about how others are affected. And a little one is not a new Christian. A little one could be anyone sitting next to you today. And our actions can either draw them closer to God or they can draw them away from God. So God said, let your actions be right. But then the disciples go in, in Luke 17, Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive? And He goes 70 times seven. And He keeps going on about forgiveness. And then it says, and if you say to this mountain, jump into the sea, if you've got enough faith of a mustard seed, it can happen. Did you know in the Gospels, all but one of the times mountain move and faith is mentioned, it's in the context of forgiveness. There's no greater mountain to shift in life than the mountain of unforgiveness. And this is what I believe God showed me. Danny, your actions will hurt others, but your reactions will hurt you. Our hospitals are full of people that can't forgive. Our mental institutions are full of people that can't let go. And see, our reactions don't hurt the person you're angry with. They might not even know you're feeling that way. They've gotten on with their lives But inside of you, there's that pain and that absolute anguish that can destroy your life. And so it's important that when we're on fire for God, we don't hang on and nurse pain and disappointment for too long because then we won't be able to handle conflict situations in a spiritual way. But when I'm weak and when I'm not on fire for God, I know it's gone quiet in here, but look, this is just practical help. Please write down what helps you. But listen, it's because I love you. I really feel that Christianity is being redefined. And I believe Christianity is coming to a new place of reality. And it's not just about the show. It's gotta be about the glow. It can't just be about the crowd, it's gotta be about the cloud. We've gotta have God's presence in the house and He's gotta be present in our lives, not in perfection, but just in desire and journey and saying, Holy Spirit, help me. See, when my relationship is weak, I speak the Word, but don't live it. I just can't handle super spirituality when people just talk the lingo, but it's not outworked, at least in desire and at least in steps. Notice the Bible says the steps of the godly are ordered by the Lord, not the leaps or the jumps or the speaks. It doesn't say the words of the godly in context of Psalm 37 are ordered by the Lord. Our words are ordered, but in the context of the Psalms, it's our steps. It's not a big leap. It's not a big jump. It's not how are you going? It's how are you growing? Can you imagine if we went up every Sunday and said, hey, how are you growing? rather than how you're going. And we're all meant to be growing. Why? It'll satisfy us. It'll absolutely be a reflection of who God is to the world around us. And i tell you, it becomes real and enjoyable. Growing, you wouldn't wanna see someone just stop growing at the age of three and never growing because you just wanna grab those. I wish my grandkids stayed at three so I could bite those cheeks all the time. But it'd be something wrong if at 37, they look like that. When relationship is weak, we speak the Word, don't live it. It's more talk than walk. We become selfish in our desires. Church didn't do that for me. I was sick and I visited them when they were sick. I sat with someone the other day with tears in their eyes. They go, we did all this stuff for our friends and then when we were sick, they never showed up. I thought, join the club. I said, that's life. It happens. People are pretty well self-driven when it comes to a weak place in walking with God. It's always self-first soft on self-sin and strong on judging others. It's funny, eh? And so when we are in a place where it's not good, oh, it's just grace, man. Oh, just thank God for His grace. Oh man, I'm always hanging around with grace. I've got to meet that girl one day. Grace, it's always grace. Because we don't want to be challenged. It is grace because grace helps us grow though. Grace, grace doesn't leave us where we are. It takes us on and grow us. See, when we're weak, we're strong in judging others, but not so strong in judging ourselves. We can sow, and I've done it. Please, I'm preaching to Danny this morning and I really am. I've done this, I've sown discord easily. In James chapter three, verse one, it says with the tongue, we can start a fire. We can also, the tongue is like the rudder of a ship that can bring direction and with it, we can honour God. If you want it to all start with the same letter, the tongue will destroy, it will direct and it will delight. It can destroy things in two seconds. It can give people direction if we handle it right or it can start a fire that destroys or with it, we can delight God with our praise. And I believe tongue is so important. And when I know my tongue goes a certain way, not only do I know I'm not walking with God, Sharon knows I'm not walking with God. Everybody else around me, I want the musicians to come, thank you, I'm nearly done. When I'm Danny not on fire for God, I become selective in what I wanna be committed to. I stand with other hurt people. Sometimes I've even become sarcastic and suspicious. About vision and church. Can I be this open with you this morning? I hope Pastor Tony won't mind. At times when I've wanted to run, evacuate, not evaluate, I've thought preaching doesn't work. You know, I'm going back to a church in a couple of weeks that I've been to for 10 years. I'm taking a point from every sermon I've preached in that church. And we're going to evaluate and say, are we doing any of that? Because If we're not, then I say to myself, what what good does preaching do? Well, the fact is it does a lot of good because the Holy Spirit will never send His word out void. And the thing is that word might not happen till five weeks time or six weeks time when the Holy Spirit will bring it back to your remembrance. But you see, when I'm not on fire for God, I start evaluating, well, what use does my gift bring? But I wanna tell you, I wanna be on fire for God. I wanna evaluate when I see this stuff and go, I wanna change because I don't want to be selective in my commitment. I don't want to be sarcastic. I don't want to stick to disappointment like glue. And I don't want to separate myself from godly counsel, godly connection and godly correction. Now in conclusion today, listen to me. I really believe that the Holy Spirit of God can only help us evaluate if we understand how much God loves us. You don't evaluate to do things to make God happy. He's happy with you just the way you are. He loves you just the way you are, but He loves you too much to leave you and me the way we are. He wants us to grow because in that growth, we become equipped. We become people that can handle the stresses of life, but also know how to navigate generations through the difficult days that come. And so here's David, search me, O God. But if you go to the beginning of that Psalm, oh, the reason why he says it is because of this. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know how my thoughts, even when you know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say. Even before I say it, Lord, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. You see, David understood the omniscience of God. That just simply means God knows everything. But I used to hear sermons from my dad when I was growing up in the Italian church and he would use this Psalm like, God will get you. Man, if you do the wrong thing, he knows where you are. No matter whether you, where you hide, he'll come and find you. I thought, I am so scared of God, it's not funny. I, just, I was 16, I just looked at a girl the wrong way and I thought I'm going straight to hell. I had bad thoughts. I'm done, I'm finished. But this Psalm says no, you know everything about me and you know exactly where I am. And your love for me is so great that you come looking for me. Yeah, that's, that's very encouraging. Not only do you know everything about me, you're omnipresent, you're everywhere I am. You know, but you also show you're everywhere I am and you're there looking for me to create a way for me. Before I was born in my mother's womb, you knew me and you had plans for me. It's hard for me to get my head around that those plans could only last 39 years. But I have to trust Him that 39 years spent within those plans, eternity will tell the story. Eternity will know but when I know He loves me, when I know He's there, when I know He was there before I was born, doctors told my mum, it was a miracle that I was born. I was born with a very serious condition. The doctors thought I would die. Three months of age, my dad held me up and said, God, If you heal him, you can have him. God healed me. And I'm standing here today serving God and I thought the same dad that held me up and said that would be happy with every decision I'd make in my life. But the reality is it wasn't. So you walk with a limp. You walk with discouragement. You walk with why me? And in the middle of all that, Evaluate whatever you want to do, Lord. I trust you. I trust you with my life because you know everything about me. You're everywhere I go and you were there before I was born while every head's bowed and every eye closed today. My one word of encouragement to Victory Church, both as a church corporately and individually today is let's not be afraid to evaluate. I don't want to be one day outside of where God wants me because He knows everything. I can't fool Him. But it's not out of His wanting to judge me. It's out of Him wanting to set me apart to be the best me I can be because I'm His child. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au